Welcome to this podcast series where I talk to the artists behind the music I play on my radio shows. I host two radio shows a month on UKCountryRadio.com. One is a country legends, a documentary style show, and the other is the Boudoir Bluegrass Show. Join me while I chat to and get to know the musicians and artists behind the music I play. Listen to their stories and their musical journeys and share some laughter and fun as you get to know the artists behind the music. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. I've got the lovely Claire Lynch with me today. Hi, it's so great to be with you and to see you again. It's been so long. When was the last time you were over in the UK? Was it 2010? I think it was 2010. So we're talking 10, 11 years ago. Gosh, where does time go? <laughs> right out the window. So lovely for you of you to give me your time today and to come and chat really excited to chat to you and particularly when we get on to the songs and the backstory I have to say I played Milo last month and I love the the little story behind that and I'm going to ask you to elaborate on that a little bit later that's so romantic <laughs> thank you yeah it was a great romance you know when we were first met and and when he was courting me it was a great romance I had a chance to write a lot about it it's lovely. Well, I look forward to hearing a little bit more about that later. <laughs> so, Claire, I know about you, but my listeners, of course, don't, and that's why you're here today. So could you tell me when and how you got into your bluegrass music? Yes. Um, well, I had come from uh, New York State when I was 12 years old with my family to Alabama, which is, you know one of the most southern, southern states in the United States. <laughs> and um, I was exposed to bluegrass music on television, mostly with shows that were coming out of Nashville syndicated programs. And then um, I really didn't get into it. I, I was more into pop and, you know, radio uh, folk music. So I did have, I did love folk music and I was already playing strumming on a guitar. And it was at a little festival and at, on the uh, University of Alabama Huntsville campus. And it was called Spring Fest. And there was a band playing on the sidewalk as a teaser to invite the people into the auditorium to hear them play. And it happened to be the McLean family band from Kentucky. And that was the first time I encountered live bluegrass music and if you know anything about the McLeans they're they were a family band and they had these big grins on their face you know and uh Raymond McLean playing banjo he's a primo musician and I literally sat like went dropped to the ground sat on the ground and went what <laughs> it was so dynamic and so electric, even though it was completely acoustic. <laughs> and so I went in to the uh, auditorium and watched their show, and there was a band opening up for them who, who were all University of Alabama students. And one of the fellas I had gone to high school with named Larry Lynch. <laughs> the rest is history. <laughs> ended up marrying Larry and joining his bluegrass band. <laughs> Actually, at the time when I met, when I first saw Larry in his band, uh, they were called Hickory Wind. And after I joined the band, uh, 1975, I believe, 
we there was another band uh, that had an actual record deal on Flying Fish Records called Hickory Wind. And um, they were doing better than we were. So we decided to change our name to the Front Porch String Band. And so that was probably, you know, 75, I guess. Long yeah. time ago. It's a great name. I like that name, Front Porch String Band. Right. We got a lot of flack from old-time music oh. aficionados who said, you guys are a bluegrass band, you're not a string band. You know, there's a difference. The string bands, uh, you know, technically play string band music, which is more old-time music with the frailing banjo, not mm-hmm. the three-finger style. But we didn't know better. We were like 19 years old, 18, 19. <laughs> we just didn't know. <laughs> we just liked the music. It hooks you in, doesn't it? It did. It it, it does hook you in. There is something magnetic about it. But it, it also, I think, you can enjoy it on the surface and view bluegrass musicians as people who paint polka dots on their face and sit on a haystack. Or <laughs> or you can immerse yourself in the history of it and kind of, you know, uh, that's what I did. I, I began a research and a study of the music because I was ignorant of it, you know. Yeah. So the more that I showed respect for the tradition of it, the more our band was not just me but everyone in the band. We were the more we were accepted to, you know, gain some of that pedigree, yes. <laughs> I guess. You ha- you took a break, didn't you, for a while? Because obviously you were raising a family. Yes. Uh, we were actually, we had released the Front Porch String Band self-titled album. It actually was an LP. <laughs> and, um, and it was getting airplay all over the United States. We had no idea. We had no idea that we were becoming popular and, you know, the road was difficult. We weren't making any money. And I I was married by then to Larry. And I was like, let's go home and have kids. Yeah. This, is, this isn't working. So we decided to have a kid and w- went home. And then um, we started getting news that we were being loved and played in Colorado and up in Montana and, you know, up north and the northeast, we had no idea. But isn't that quite nice? It's quite a nice thing. You you, you think you've just had a bit of fun, you're just you know, yeah. doing it for a bit of fun, and then but behind the scenes, while you're getting on with your life, you are being yeah. played, you are being recognized, and, you know, suddenly they're calling out for you. You know, you, they want you mm-hmm. back there, which is, in fact, you did resurrect it, didn't you, later on? Yes, we did. I think when my firstborn was... Up toddler age, we started doing gigs, mostly locally in Alabama and in the southeastern United States, not getting too far from home. And we had the support of my husband's family. They were very supportive. You know, they loved the grandkids, and and they helped so that we could go out and play on weekends. By the time I had my second child, was seven years later, uh, we didn't waste any time playing. I just took her with me. (laughs) (laughs) Fed her in between sets and stuff. We made a... We went two or three decades playing part-time and working full-time and traveling on weekends. So... It sounds fun. Wasn't very, easy. very busy, but sounds very fun. (laughs) You're a songwriter, Claire, of course. Uh, When did you get into songwriting? Oh, well, I've always 
like to put pen to paper. And, I, you know, when I was a little girl, I used to write poems for, as gifts to my family members uh, just because I didn't have any money, so I would write them a poem, you know. Oh, how um, putting, when I got into the band, uh, you know, it just came natural to want to write a song. I was already singing and playing guitar, so and it just came to me to do. And <laughs> I just started, but a few years into it, I was approached by a studio owner in Alabama, in Huntsville, my hometown, who was an aggressive publisher. And he asked if he could sign me as a songwriter, and then eventually he shopped my publishing catalog to major publishers in Nashville on Music Row. And uh, I got signed to Polygram Publishing and then uh, to Universal Music Publishing. So I spent seven years writing professionally on Music Row. And I think, yeah, one of the reasons they were interested in me is because I was recording, you know, so they knew that they had guaranteed cuts (laughs) because I was recording my own songs. It must be lovely to be able to just write and be paid for it. And to be able to know that you can go into an office and you can write through the day, and it's your job. I mean, how exciting is that? It was exciting. I I wasn't one of those writers who went in five days a week, although there were, you know, very successful writers in the office, you know, had their own office who did that daily. Um, I had to commute from North Alabama, so I would take vacation days and drive to Nashville and write with other people. Mm. And I I wrote a lot at home, and it was really before Zoom, but we could do some emailing and phone calls with my co-writers to catch up and have ideas with each other. So uh, because I was touring too, yeah. So the one the touring writers who were on staff there uh, weren't expected to come in five days a week, Um, but the fellows who didn't weren't really artists, but just fabulous songwriters. They would. It was more like a day job for them. But what an honor and what a privilege, you know, and how exciting to be part of that team. It was just beyond privilege, and it was a wonderful privilege. I can imagine. And, and of course, mm. you've had a lot of success with your songs, and you've had a lot of fabulous artists record your songs as well, haven't you? A few, not not a lot, but I've oh, had you know like a, a couple. <laughs> <laughs> I've had I've had really wonderful opportunities to sing on a lot of people's albums. Harmony, you know, that's actually uh, I've been called out for that a lot more than my songwriting. But a few, Kathy Matea cut "Hills of Alabama" back on one of her bigger albums, and um, the Whites. I hadn't had really you know like big cuts. <laughs> but like, I've had some cuts, and it's been a great honor. I've sung with wonderful, uh, you know, big-name artists like Dolly Parton and Emmy Lou and Linda Ronstadt. And They're my those. favorites. I love those three ladies. Yeah. In fact, you've just mentioned trio, haven't you? Weren't they a trio? <laughs> oh, yes. They certainly were. <laughs> they certainly were. As a matter of fact, the... The when I was invited to sing on Linda Ronstadt's album, it was originally that whole project was originally to have been a trio project. I think there's did they do two that came out? Yeah, they and did. There, I think there was going to be a yeah. third, and then um, 
somehow Dolly wasn't able to join them on it. And so Linda hired a lot of bluegrass girls to sing Dolly's part <laughs> on um, on that project. So Rhonda Vincent was on there and uh, Alison Krauss, you know. It was an honor to be, you know, called in. And Oh, absolutely. Uh, she insisted on singing with me in the studio. So I'm standing four feet away from Linda Ronstadt, like singing harmony with her. <laughs> I was shaking in my boots. <laughs> but what an honor. How wonderful. And, yeah. of course, you, you mm-hmm. went on, didn't you, to tour and be a backing vocalist or supporting artist for Dolly as well. Yes, it was a, a backing vocalist. I was invited to sing on uh, both of her bluegrass albums that she recorded around turn of the century. <laughs> and uh, and then she did a, a lot of promotional touring, not so much a live audience, a couple of things we did, but a lot of television. Mm-hmm. We did all, all of the big TV shows in New York and L.A., and we... We did a lot of the award shows. We, you know, sang on the Grammys and all that. We did uh, Austin City Limits, which is up and can be viewed, actually, <laughs> on YouTube. Did you hear that, listeners? Go yeah. by YouTube and look it up. <laughs> yeah, Austin City Limits, Dolly Parton. And there's a all-star bluegrass band behind her. You know, wonderful players, Fantastic. famous ones. <laughs> I would look forward to seeing that myself, actually. Yeah. You've actually been nominated for a Grammys, haven't you, as well, though, Claire? You've been very recognized for your songwriting. And you've had yes. a female vocalist of the year. Yeah. I got, I've gotten three Grammy nominations for Bluegrass Album. I never won it, but uh, what an honor. And um, I won uh, Female Vocalist of the Year with IBMA three times. And I got Song of the Year, which actually is is a is probably one of my greatest honors is getting a song of the year uh, with IBMA because I, I really think that songwriting matters most to me. Was that with know? Dear Sister? Yes, Dear Sister. Oh, that's mm. wonderful. Would you, mm. te- could you tell me a bit about Dear Sister, the backstory to that, Claire, would you mind? Sure. No. It had been 150 years since the Civil War in the United States and people were, was it 150 sesquicentennial mm-hmm. uh, they ca- called it and people were doing oh, reenactments and uh, a lot of history books were being written and and in the music world there are a lot of people doing um, Civil War song collections with various artists mm-hmm. and uh, Louisa Branscombe the co-writer on Dear Sister came to me and said Let's write a Civil War song for all these projects. Maybe we'll get on one. <laughs> and, and so we began, and she came to me with this wonderful story. She had great-great-uncles, four of them who fought in the Civil War, and they were on the, the southern side from uh, South Alabama. And they all wrote letters home to their sister, who was on the farm down there, and uh, she saved all the letters, put them in a box. And when they were cleaning out and selling the old home place in the early 2000s, they found the letters. And they were, like, uh, you know, fascinated, amazed. And uh, Louise's cousin took all the letters and uh, compiled them into a book that he published himself called Dear Sister. You know, from there, we got together and said, well, let's just 
let the song be one of, be a letter home. You know, let it be start. You know, dear sister. <laughs> it's beautiful. So that's that's how we wrote it, and that's why we wrote it. It's beautiful. It's so emotive. I mean, it does bring a tear to your eye. It's just beautiful. yes, and that is my goal. Yeah, I love to see people crying when I sing. <laughs> <laughs> it it is such, such a beautiful song. So Thank now, um, moving on, Claire, to the Claire Lynch Band. Oh, tell me about the Claire Lynch <laughs> Band. Well, I kind of uh, I branched out uh, in two thousand five and and started uh, my own band. My husband and I, Larry, had had broken up, and I was out on my own. <laughs> I I had the support of my label at the time, Rounder Records, and uh, I just like jumped in with both feet. And uh, all those years with my husband, Larry, I was had to be subservient to his tastes and his veto power on songs and production, mm-hmm. and he kind of had the upper hand, you know. Which is something that I didn't rebel against necessarily, but when I found myself on my own and being able to make the creative decisions myself, uh, have the final say and have the respect of my band members to do that, it opened up a whole new, you know, feeling of confidence and power yes, for of me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I've had the pleasure of seeing the Claire Lynch Bank Band, of course. In mm-hmm. fact, when I was talking to Mike the other week I don't know whether your ears and Mark's ears were burning burning <laughs> <laughs> oh you've worked with Mike haven't you as well I sang on a at least one song on his yeah. last release That's and it, right. it, it had sort of a nice part on it you know it's a kind of sort of a prominent harmony part and yeah he was so so very gracious to me about that but Mark Schatz who played bass with me in the Claire Lynch band for 10 years yeah. produced Mike's album and so yeah but we were talking Mark about Schatz him is, because of his such a fabulous bassist isn't he i mean he really just runs with that bass i mean that bass just shouts <laughs> when mark plays absolutely you know when he joined my band his wife Eileen said Claire, I just want you to know you're working with Mark frickin' Chats. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, he had already been in the Tony Rice unit and Nickel Creek. He had just come off a four-year stint with Nickel Creek when they and they broke up, and he ended up in my band. <laughs> I was, like, so honored. And he is one, he's a mensch. He's a, he's a gentle soul, a loving soul, a very broad-minded man and and fabulous musician yeah know. well in fact all your musicians in your band are fabulous Claire we had such a it's true. It was such an honor to be able to watch you and see you over there at did Martin festival what are your plans for the future I mean I know it's been really difficult for everybody with COVID you know plans mm-hmm. if they've had tours in 2020 they've had to reschedule them and even haven't been able to do so for 2021 so did you have any tours lined up? I know you last recorded in 2016. We'll get on to that latest album. Um, okay. In fact, no, let's go do that now. That's North by <laughs> South, isn't it? The last album yes, you recorded. It is, and uh, it's been an adventure. I The reason I recorded it is because I'm married again and moved to Canada. So I'm now living in Toronto and speaking to you from my home there. And what happened is 
my husband, uh, Ian, started teaching me about all things Canadian, the history, the terrain, the famous actors and authors, and the songwriters. And I was really ignorant of some of the fabulous songwriting that is available up here. I mean, not just Joni Mitchell and Gordon Lightfoot, right, who are mm -hmm. world-renowned, but other ones from just like here in Ontario. And I thought, this music needs to be shared with my fans in the U.S. and all over. So I, I just did a collection of songs written by Canadians. It's a really lovely album, actually, Claire. Very nice album. Thank Is you. Is there a particular... Well, before I ask you <laughs> if you've got a particular favourite, I want to talk about the track Milo because it's so romantic. I mean, you and your <laughs> husband were started out as co quote pen pals. Yes, he wrote me he wrote an email to my the girl that helps my helps me with web sales on my website, you know, CDs and said, "You're not charging enough for shipping to Canada." <laughs> <laughs> and uh he just he's very gabby and he's He's, he was a school teacher and he was a writer for Globe and Mail and TV Guide in his day. And he's just very gabby, you know. And uh, pretty soon my, my, my helper with my website said, you got to talk to this guy. I said, let me handle him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we became pen bells. I was so charmed with his, just his rapport you know, with me, and it was fun reading what he wrote. And then one day I went on his Facebook page and looked at him and went, holy mackerel, he's so handsome. <laughs> Always a bonus. <laughs> he was single and, you know, he had a crush. And, you know, it turned pen pal, turned into, you know, a couple of years later, a visit to Nashville, and then it was all over. <laughs> it was just, you know, we just tumbled into... A romantic relationship and that's lovely and milo is the the song isn't it yes so it, milo that's short for my love yes and the thing is that you know like most canadians they lean a lot more further left than especially people in bluegrass or people from the south in particular <laughs> lean politically and socially they're just a lot more progressive in in nature and it was uh like an opening for me, you know, a, a widening of my views and a, an ex examination of my own points of view and how I got to where I was thinking, you know, from information that had been fed to me all my life. And it's been a wonderful trip, you know, with him. Uh, but the song is about, in spite of our differences mm -hmm. and our points of view, we just had this thing that was we couldn't help, you know, we were just like attracted to each other. It was beyond our, beyond any reasoning. <laughs> Sometimes you don't need reasoning. It's a lovely song, really is. Thank so, you. So I'd like to move on now, as, as I was saying a little bit earlier on, what plans do you have now? Are you still songwriting? Are you going to record another album or are you just enjoying life and love <laughs> basically? <laughs> Well, I'm enjoying life and love, and uh, it's it's amazing uh, with the the pandemic how how much I needed a rest. And I've heard other musicians say that too. It's just like, wow, I didn't realize I was going so fast. Yes. And um, so it's really nice. And you know, I ain't no spring chicken, as they say in Alabama. 
<laughs> and so it's it's lovely to slow down, but I I'm busy every day. I'm co-producing an album for a singer-songwriter here in Toronto, and I'm writing and co-writing and um, self-recording. So the pandemic, you know, since I wasn't able to go into studio and work, I hired a, um, an engineer to teach me how to run my own recording software. So now I can sing on a harmony on other people's albums and uh, record my my own rhythm tracks and that kind of thing. So I'm in the process of putting songs together, but I've kind of, um, I don't feel like a sense of urgency yeah, like so no many do because I've already uh, pretty much had my career, you know. I would like to continue to create, but it's not like I have this burning ambition. You know, some people know who I am and I have a my own little tribe, I guess. You are happy where you are, and you're happy being creative I for am. yourself. That's it, isn't it? Yes. It's yeah. lovely, How and lovely uh, uh, it's always changing and growing, and that's that's what's important. Well, Claire, it's been lovely to chat to you. Thank you so much for giving me your time. It's lovely. Thank you for putting so much thought into your interview, and um, I'm looking forward to hearing your show. Thank you, Claire. You have been listening to a Lynn Nash Music and Voice production for the Bands in the Boudoir podcast. I do hope you've enjoyed listening and I hope you will come back to listen to further episodes in the future. Thank you very much for tuning in.